This is actually my first time worshiping with you on a Sunday morning, so it's awesome to be here with you. It's a real privilege for me. Um, I've gotten to know Tim over um, the years. He's been an incredible uh, support uh, to me, and in many ways at different times has been a pastor uh, to me. So it's uh, an honor to be able to come and uh, share the word with you, um, in many ways feeling like I'm standing um, in his shoes. Um, this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, if you brought them, we're uh, going to get to work in uh, John chapter 18. Um, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 33 through 40, excuse me, 33 through 37. Um, that's actually the text that Tim had assigned for this morning, and I'm actually going to read a little bit um, more than that. So um, if you don't mind turning there, uh, if you didn't bring your Bibles, that's all right. You can just pay attention. Um, hopefully not too tired. Uh, you're not going to sleep. You're going to zero in because God has some really good stuff to say uh, this morning. I don't know if you've ever uh, saw uh, the uh, infomercial um, where uh, there's a guy uh, playing uh, the piano, and uh, he's singing, and it's an uh, infomercial for a new worship album that's coming out. And this is, uh, you know, happened a, a few years ago, maybe like 10 years ago. This is like 90s uh, worship music is that he's singing. And uh, the music sounds the same. He's got an incredible voice. Uh, he's passionate. He's excited about what he's singing. But you start watching this, and you're like, you know, something's, something's wrong. I mean, something's not right about uh, what's being sung about. Because rather than singing about Jesus or God, the words have been changed around him. Um, so, like, for instance, uh, one of the songs that stick out to me on that, uh, uh, on that comedic spoof of a, a worship album is I Exalt Thee. Instead of singing I Exalt Thee, he's singing I Exalt Me. And he's excited about it, you know, and it's, um, it's funny, don't, don't mind my singing, um, I did tell Corey I could join him today, but and he was very gracious, but I told him, you don't want me singing. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of a funny uh, little spoof. Um, and just as I was preparing for this morning, one of the things that came to mind and was very convicting for me is that when we come together um, as the body of Christ, when we come together specifically in this time of worship, um, we have an awesome worship team leading us, leading us to exalt uh, the Lord to, to sing praises to Him, and we can follow along with the lyrics. We can sing those songs. Um, but the reality is, is that if we're not singing those songs Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, if that's not the songs we're singing, it doesn't really matter what we sing on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter because we can sing all day long. We exalt Thee now, but what about Monday morning when your world collapses? What about Tuesday when your marriage starts to have troubles? Will you exalt him then? And that is the, the hard question uh, for us. Uh, one of the pictures that um, I've thought about often, you may have heard this, about what, uh, what it looks like when we become Christians, what it looks like when we become saved. It's like a, a revel that lays down his or her arms and surrenders. I don't know if you've ever heard of that picture before, um, but the reality is, is that Jesus is king and um, the longer that we walk with the Lord, um, in some ways initially it's very easy to surrender to him, um, depending on where he found us. But as time goes on, as seasons progress, as there are new situations, as the enemy is working in different ways, sometimes it's harder for us to lay down our arms. Sometimes it's harder for us to get off the throne long enough to let Jesus be who he actually is. And so this morning, the question I want to share with you is, are we singing the right song? Are we singing the right song? song. You know, just reflecting on my own journey, um, I kind of used to describe my, my faith journey as that there was a point in my life which I made Jesus my Savior, and then there was a point in my life, and then I made him my Lord as if he's 
two different things. Um, that's just the way I used to describe it. But one of the things that I've come convicted about is that I never made him Lord. He is Lord. I never made him king. I didn't vote for him. I didn't put him in the office, right? He didn't run and say, hey, Brandon, I need your vote. Um, please put me in in your life. No, he already is Lord. He is Lord Church. He is king. And he's inviting us to continually surrender to him. One of the um, accusations is often lodged against the church of Jesus Christ by those that are, wouldn't call themselves Christians is that we're hypocrites. And in some ways, you know, that Christian is not always fair. In other ways, it's very fair. Because the outside world, you know, they know that we're connected to this, this person named Jesus and we talk about Jesus and we carry our Bibles, we do all these things. Um, but then at the same time, uh, we're in here on Sunday singing, I exalt thee. And then this week, we go out in the world and we're singing, I exalt me. And we hurt people and we offend people. And they see a very different picture of what it means to be a Christian. They say, well, you know, if, if that's what it means to follow Christ, if that's who Jesus is, then I don't want any parts of it. And so for us to recognize it, it affects the reputation of Christ in our communities, in our world. But it also affects Jesus' reputation in the church. Because it's not just outside the church that we offend people. We offend people in the church, amen? No one's going to amen to that. We do. We act in ways that don't reflect Jesus. We, we don't submit to him being king. And so when we deal with each other as brothers and sisters, we offend, we wound, we do all these things. And it all goes back to, are we going to surrender to him? Even in our own spirits, we know, even sitting here now, you might already be wrestling with it now, is that we know we struggle with hypocrisy. We claim Christ, and then we act differently. And so this morning, I want all of us to come together and declare Jesus as king and to be reminded and to reaffirm that together. So let's jump to our text, um, John chapter 18. I'll start with verse 33 and read from the English Standard Version. Um, at this point um, in the, the gospel narrative of John's account of it, um, Jesus has been arrested. He's about to undergo um, his trial uh, with Pilate, and uh, this is what John records. Again, John 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests, have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. 
Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law we ought to, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You have no authority over me at all unless it has been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So Pilate heard these words. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Familiar story, right? Sobering story. Now for us as believers, we can look past these events, look to the cross, look to the resurrection, and we can, um, as thinking about Thanksgiving this week, we can be thankful for the cross. We can be thankful that Jesus was faithful to the end. We can be thankful that Jesus' blood covers and tones for all of our sins, right? So while this is a disturbing chain of events, we can be thankful through the eyes of faith. And yet at the same time, as we look at this passage, it's important that we understand What's transpiring here in the story? And the one thing I hope you see in this passage is this. Jesus is king. Jesus is king, period. Not Jesus will be king, not a future event, not Jesus was king. Jesus is present king. As the Bible records him as being the king of kings and lord of lords, being the ultimate authority, the ultimate king, that all other kings, all other rulers, all other principalities are under the lordship, the control, the oversight of Jesus himself. And so when we talk about, you know, Jesus being king, we talk about him being lord. We're speaking of someone who has authority, someone who has control, someone who has power. And oftentimes it's over people or territory. Um, We're really talking about who is in charge, who's the boss. And as Christians, we claim it's Jesus. He's ruling and he's reigning, not just in our world, but in and over our lives. As North Americans, uh, understanding a position of power in an office, it's sometimes difficult to understand a king because we don't have kings, right, uh, in our country. And it's hard for us to even uh, wrap our brains around, too, because all the leaders that we put into place are people that 
we the people elect. Uh, we uh, put them in there, we vote for them, we do that kind of stuff, but Jesus didn't hold an election. He's king. He's king. And so nothing we can do or anyone can do can ever pull him out of office. He is king and always will be king. He also doesn't need any advice. Has anybody tried to ever give Jesus advice about how we should handle things? How he should be doing his job? Anybody do that? All right. No one's done that besides me, apparently. But he doesn't need our counsel. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's king. Because he's not just king church, he's also creator and he's sustainer. So he's not just ruling without any knowledge of his creation, but he's also the creator. He knows how he set things up. He's also sustaining. It's by his word that things are happening the way they are. His kingdom cannot be shaken. Our world's church are oftentimes shaken by events and circumstances, but the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom, is never, ever shaken. It's never thwarted. There's no power above Jesus to make Jesus wonder, like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be a king tomorrow. He is king. He is ruling. So how do we respond to Jesus as king? There's a number of different ways that we can respond to him being king. Um, Scripture gives us a couple different ways. We can respond with a useless faith, a useless faith. And so uh, this comes out of James chapter 2, where he writes, You believe that God is one you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And so what James is talking about here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the reality is that demons believe that there's a God, right? They believe. Now, they don't trust in God, obviously. They revolted against him, right? But uh, they believe that he exists. And so how that looks for us that are church attenders and participants is that we can attend church, we can understand a concept of who Jesus is, who God is, but never actually submit to his rule or his authority. In other words, how that translates in our life is that we are the ones making the decisions. We're the ones calling the shots about who decides what's right or wrong in our life. That is what the Bible calls a useless faith because we are required to have works. If we trust Jesus, the natural outgrowth of that is that we do things that honor him because we trust him. We could also have a shallow faith. Um, in this case, if, if you're familiar with the gospel story, um, that uh, in the narratives, there were people at different times that came to believe in who Jesus was. Um, they believed in him. Some were outspoken about it. Some were not. Um, in John chapter 12, it records that some of the authorities even believed in him. Uh, but because they did not want to be put out of the synagogue, they didn't want to lose uh, their connection to their community um, and their role, they just were silent about their belief in Jesus. Uh, they, they were just were timid. They didn't confess him publicly. And John records that they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is what we call shallow faith. This is where we participate in church. But yet, when we go about our life, when we're at work, when we're with our families, you wouldn't really know that we were a Christian. We don't act like believers, and we never tell people. We're quiet. We keep everything to ourselves. This is what is called a shallow faith. Or we could respond, and again, I hope you're hearing that these are not good responses. Uh, But the last kind of faith we could respond with that that would not be good would be an empty faith. Um, And uh, these words are from Matthew chapter 7. These are Jesus' words, uh, part of his words on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, These are also very sobering words. 
He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast demons cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So this is an empty faith. So Jesus is saying is that at the end of time, that people are going to come to him and say, Lord, Lord, Jesus, you're my Lord. And then they're going to go on to talk about, well, you know what? We did all this stuff in your name, Jesus. We did good stuff in your name. And Jesus' response is that I never knew you. And so what this looks like for us in the church is that we're participating in church. We're serving the church. We're part of the local body, but we have no relationship with Jesus. This is an empty faith. And the reality is for all of us here, and um, none of us really know that. Uh, You only know that where you're at. I only know that, my relationship with him. But the reality is, you and I can fool everybody in the world. We can fool each other. We can fool everyone that we are connected to Jesus by our participation in church and serving and doing other things. But at the end of time, Jesus will make right what's really there. And if we don't have a relationship with him, we're not going to fake him out. It's not like we're going to get before him and just say, hey, Jesus, we did all these good things, Lord, Lord. And he's, and he's going to be like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, you're, you're one of mine. No, Jesus knows who are his. And so we're not going to fake Jesus out. We're not. And so this is an empty faith. But here's a response that as Christians that we should have. And this is what I would term as a real faith. And it's really, really simple, church. It is, it is so simple. And sometimes the most simple things are the most profound. We obey what Jesus says because he's king. That's real faith. We do what he says. Now, in this room, um, maybe I'm the only one, but do we have any perfect people here? Okay, if you're perfect, just you can leave. Um, This is for the rest of the imperfect people. Um, We do. We make mistakes, right? We sin. We we, we don't do what Jesus calls us to do. Um, We make mistakes. And there is grace, church, for us. There's mercy for us. There's forgiveness. But as a, a believer, as someone who has real faith, what we do is that we realign with the king again. We own what we did wrong. We come back to him and say, Jesus, I know this isn't what you want from me. And we turn back to where he's calling us to be. So again, it's not a call for perfection, but it's a call for obedience. That's what real faith is. If you go back to John 18, Jesus tells Pilate, everyone who is of of the truth listens to my voice. In John chapter 10, Jesus says that my sheep hear my voice. It's not just simply that they hear it, but the expectation is that they're doing something with it. Um, That's why Jesus, when he's talking to Pilate, he talks about, my kingdom is not of this world, because if my kingdom was an earthly kingdom, Pilate, my disciples would totally be fighting you right now. They'd be trying to overtake your government, if that's what this is about. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world. My my kingdom's bigger. It's above your kingdom, Pilate, and so my servants aren't going to fight you, right? I mean, what is there to battle between Rome and and Jesus' kingdom, right? There's no contest, right? So Jesus doesn't have his disciples do that. Um, But for us to think about real faith, it always translates into some type of action, obeying him, doing what he wants. So it's listening to him, it's opening his word, church. It's paying attention to him, it's praying, it's seeking him, it's being in a corporate setting like this and saying, Lord, I want to hear from you today. What do you have to say? 
and paying attention to him and not just hearing it because um, we're not just hearers of the word, we're what of the word? Doers, right? So we also want to obey what he says. And again, this is really, really simple. Um, I know that. But sometimes we need to be reminded that Jesus is king. He has a right to speak into our lives about what's right, what's wrong, what's good and bad, what's wise, what's foolish. In fact, um, what amazes me is that if you were to, to read through the scriptures front and back, it's amazing to me how much he actually covers uh, in terms of our life. It's amazing to me. And that's not always specific things, but then on top of it, we can speak and have a relationship with the king and ask him specifically, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? It's not like we're just reading this old book and hoping that we can glean some wisdom from it. We can also talk to the author and we can ask him, what do you want me to do? What would honor you, Jesus, in this situation? And actually worship him by obeying him. There are a number of people who saw uh, Jesus as king and, and they responded with, with real faith. One of those people um, is Isaiah. And I'll read this for you from Isaiah 6. This may be familiar to you. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. Again, this is Isaiah. High and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now listen to what Isaiah says. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. John's Gospel says, Isaiah saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he was undone. He was broken. He was mourning at his own weakness and sin and for his people's real faith. It wasn't just Isaiah. The disciples responded with real faith as well. If you remember Matthew's account of uh, the resurrection, Jesus appears to them and says, Greetings, and the women, uh, they come up to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then he said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The women worshipped the resurrected King Jesus, and they did what he said to do. And then you see later in, in Matthew 28, that the disciples do the same thing. When they meet Jesus um, on the mountain which he had directed them, uh, it says that when they saw him, they worshiped him because he's king. Because he's king. Again, it wasn't just the disciples. It was also Stephen. When Stephen got done preaching in uh, Acts 7, He's preaching. The people are getting very hostile and angry at him right before he's stoned to death. And the scriptures record that he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And behold, and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they proceeded to stone and kill him. Real faith. One of the other disciples, John, later had another experience with Jesus in Revelation. And this is what it says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys 
of death and Hades came Jesus demanding worship because he is king. So what kind of king is Jesus? Because I think it matters what kind of king Jesus is if we're going to submit to him, right? I mean, I think it would be enough for us to say, well, okay, Brandon, if he is king, then I should submit to him, right? Because he's king, right? He's, he's in charge. That makes sense. But what kind of king is he that would even further entice us to want to submit to him? I want to reassure you, church, that he is unlike any other king. He's unlike any other king. He is faithful and loving. Hebrews records that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith and says that for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That we have a king that didn't just sit up on his throne and just let us rule himself. He got down out of heaven and he gave his life for us so that we can be reconciled back to him. That is a loving and faithful king. That is a loving and faithful king. Jesus told his disciples before um, he was crucified, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now we like that first part, greater love is known than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, right? Great, Jesus is my friend. I can relate to him as my friend, and we can. But how many of your friends also say, you are my friends if you do what I command you? How many have friends like that? Other than Jesus, they're probably not very good friends. Um, just, just for a note here. But Jesus can do that because he's king. He can be our friend and at the same time say, I'm king, you need to listen to what I say. He's also a forever reigning king. Again, Jesus' kingdom is eternal. It's everlasting. It's not going anywhere. It's not of this world. When you look at um, all the kingdoms around the world and different rulers and authorities, they're constantly striving for position, for authority, for control. And they're constantly rising and falling. If you look through all of human history, that's what it's been. Rulers have risen and they've fallen. But the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom, has never fallen has never, ever fallen, and it never will fall. And he is forever king. I love what um, Hebrews says about Jesus. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. That's Jesus' kingdom. He is a forever reigning king. But he's also perfectly good. And wise. He's perfectly good. I hope you heard in John 18 and 19 uh, that story, um, that way that was recorded. Pilate repeatedly said, I find no guilt in him. Because Jesus is a spotless, perfect king. He has no blemish. He makes no mistakes. He's made no mistakes. He has no sin. First Peter records it this way. Even during Jesus' most trying moment, it says that he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. 
Now, here's what's crazy, church, that when you and I are reviled, what do we want to do? We want to revile, right? Something we would do. We can, be, we can be real here. You don't have to put your Christian jacket on. We can be real. We want to revile, right? We want to respond. When we are suffering, we want to threaten, right? When someone's causing us harm or our family harm or someone we care about, our natural inclination is to respond and react in a really inappropriate ways. And the weird thing is for us, if we're going to look in the mirror for a second, what authority or claim or reputation do we have to uphold? I mean, think about it. What do we really have to uphold if the one in whom we're following, King Jesus, actually had a reputation? In in, um, Philippians 2, it says that he made himself, this is the New King James, made himself of no reputation. You know, when Jesus was in heaven, he had all the glory. He had angels around him singing his praises day and night. He had all the reputation in the world, and yet he left his reputation in heaven to come be a poor servant. That's what Philippians 2 talks about. So if he is before Pilate, the Roman governor, who has the power to execute him, right, and he's being totally dimed out by his own people, and Jesus actually has a reputation, but yet in those moments, he didn't threaten. In those moments, he didn't respond inappropriately. How much more should we? One of the secrets about Jesus, and I'm sure you know it, is that Jesus was incredibly and is incredibly humble. He knows exactly who he is, so he doesn't need to defend himself. He doesn't need to defend himself. That's why he's a perfectly good and wise king. Amazingly wise. He's also an all-powerful conquering king. When we think about Jesus' power and how he triumphed over the grave, like that is awesome. How many Lazarus do we have here? Well, I guess spiritually we're all Lazarus, right? We've, we've trusted in Jesus. He's risen from the dead, Amen. But otherwise, I only know one person that raised himself from the dead. Talk about power. And it's not just that he has power, church. He also is a conquering king. Uh, One of the amazing things that Colossians 2 talks about is that the rulers and authorities were disarmed. They were put openly to shame. They were triumphed over. So this are spiritual authorities and principalities. Those things which you can't see. He's not just king and lord over what we see. He's also king and lord over what we don't see. All those principalities, all those dominions of darkness, all those forces, they were already put to open shame by the conquering king and rendered powerless by him. And thinking about this, looking at what Jesus said to Pilate, and I just think about like what humility and courage. Jesus is standing before Pilate the one who can kill him. And he says, you have no authority over me at all unless it's been given to you from above. Right in his face. The only authority you have, Pilate, is what's been given. That is because it's from an all-powerful conquering king. If Jesus didn't have any power, do you think he'd be making that statement? No, he wouldn't be. So the question this morning I asked you is, are we singing the right song? I'm going to ask you, how have you received Jesus in the past? Like up until this morning. And thinking about today and what lies ahead, because today is a new day, amen? What, how will we receive him going forward? Are we going to submit to him as king and say, Jesus, you're the boss. What you say goes. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to do what pleases you, even if it means that 
I'm going to experience more pain, even if it means, Jesus, that I can't defend my fleeting reputation, even if it means, Jesus, that I'm going to get stepped on, I'm going to do that because you're king and I'm not. And we're going to be at his feet and to worship. That's what I love about that word that in the Greek is translated as worship, is that to bow down. And you see that in the Gospels, to be at Jesus' feet. Are we going to have that kind of posture? Or are we going to be like Pilate? And are we going to remain in just unbelief? Be fairly dismissive of the reality that Jesus is king. We know from that second part of uh, Philippians 2 I was talking about is that it talks about that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So that's not um, a declaration uh, that everyone's going to one day have a right relationship with Jesus in terms of serving him and loving him. What that is declaring is that one day all people will acknowledge and all things will acknowledge that he is in fact king and Lord and all will submit to him by force. They're not going to have a choice. But for us, we have a choice now to submit. That's really the only thing that makes us different from the rest of the world. I don't know if you realize this, but Christians aren't better than anyone else, okay? We are just like everyone else. We're just as broken. The only difference is we've, we know who the king is. I like how one person said it. We're just the beggar who has found bread, and we just want to tell other people where the bread is. We don't own the shop. We don't give out the bread. We're just the people that are begging for it, and we know where to get it. So are we going to be like Pilate? Or are we going to be like the crowds and reject Jesus when he doesn't live up to our expectations? When we see him as king and he doesn't give us what we want, or the lot we have in life or the situation we have isn't going the way we want to, are we going to just say, you know what, Jesus, I'm done with you? Or are we going to submit to him? One of the things I'm, I'm very aware of, um, and, and you might be sitting there this morning feeling this way, is that sometimes you just don't feel like, wanting Jesus as king, right? Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes you might get up in the morning and you'd rather just, and I've, I've been there, you'd just rather be your king for a couple hours, right? A couple moments. One of the things I love about David is in, in Psalm 103, he actually preaches to himself to bless God. He preaches to his soul, bless God. So this would be like you and I going into the mirror and say, you need to bless God today, even though you don't feel like it even though your world isn't what you want it to be, even if you don't like what's happening, we are to bless God. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I love this because now he's just going to outline all the benefits of being in relationship with him for his soul. So he, he can remember, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And it goes on. And then in verse 19, he confesses, the Lord has established his, his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And then he closes with this. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Does Jesus have dominion in this place? Does he have dominion over you? If he does, then bless him. Bless him as king. Submit to him as king. As you probably know, it will change everything. 
change your relationships. It'll change your perspective. It'll change everything. And the cool thing about that is that if Jesus was just this kind of distant king, like that would be one aspect of it. But he also is an incredibly personal, loving God. So not only is he ruling and reigning and overseeing, he's saying, come be a part of my family. That's what we love about salvation. It's not just that we're forgiven, right? We're adopted into the family. So we can deal with him as a kid, as a son, as a daughter. And we can ask things of him. And we can share our hearts. We can share our burdens. If you ever did a cursory read of the Psalms, you'll see that either David was all over the place and crazy or he was just being real. At moments he felt like God was with him. At moments he felt like God wasn't with him. At one moment he's praising God and one moment he's doubting him. But yet he's still going back to him because he's king and he's God. May we follow suit with David and bless him as our king. I want to pray for that this morning. Um, so just where you're seated, I just ask that uh, close your eyes unless you're going to fall asleep. Don't, don't close your eyes then. Um, but what I'd, what I'd ask is as I'm praying and as we're just going to be still and quiet is that just in your own heart that you would just acknowledge that he's God, that Jesus is king, that you would just meditate on that and set that right with you and him even now. No matter what's happened this morning, no matter what happened on the way over to church today, we've all had those moments, but just this morning to let him have full access to you, and then I'll pray. Lord, we, we are really good at deceiving ourselves. We are so good at telling ourselves lies like um, that we got under control, that we're good, that, um, that we have it together. And um, what's, what's crazy about it, God, is that you see that and you're like, no, you don't. <laughs> and I'm king and I'm Lord. Just come to me and let me walk with you. Let me help you. Let me counsel you. Let me love you. Let me be with you in a way that you need right now. And yet, God, we tell ourselves these lies all the time. And so this morning, we, we stand in the truth that you are king. You are our king. And Lord, we are sorry for the times in which we've, we've tried to establish our own kingdom. We've tried to sit on our own thrones. God, we willingly give it up because we know who you are. And we pray that, Lord, you continue to give us the faith to trust you in every situation, God. Not just when things are good, but when things are falling apart. Not just, God, just on the mountaintop when we're in the valley, God, that we would trust you as king, as having authority, that we would listen to your word and we would do exactly what you want us to do. We thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious, gracious God and that no matter how many times we leave your side, you always take us back. And what's even more amazing, God, is that not only that we leave your side, but you knew we were gonna leave your side and you still take us back anyway. Your love is amazing. And we just bless your name. We bless you because you're the king of kings and Lord of lords. We bless you because you're the great sin forgiver. We bless you because you're our savior. We bless you because you're kind. We bless you because you're mighty and you're awesome and you're so good, God. You're a good, good father. Thanks for letting us be a part of your family.
and your kingdom. In Jesus' name.